Today we come to our second study in this series on the basics of Christianity that we began together last week. And my intent, I'll remind you, my intent is to return to this series of studies after I return from a couple of weeks of vacation. And uh, we will remain in this series for just a few weeks thereafter, and then we'll begin studying together through another book of God's Word very soon. But it is also my intent to leave some topics unexplored in the next few weeks so that we might return to this series at a future date. And I wish to do so because we ought to examine ourselves, as the Scriptures remind us, to do uh, as we're to live the Christian life examined by and, and instructed by God's Word. We ought to examine ourselves. It's, it's the, uh, the thing that we want to do here in this series, challenging ourselves with some of the basics of the Christian faith. We need these reminders from time to time. Some of the basics, you might say, well, I know the basics. And I say, uh, yes, and, and I know them too, but I need to be reminded of them very often, and I trust you do too. And so we come together into this brief series of the basics of Christianity and to remind ourselves to examine our own lives that we might look at our own lives and let these basic truths challenge us afresh. So in the future, we'll be dealing with studies such as uh, dealing with faith, dealing with gratitude, dealing with giving, our humility, our prayer lives, as well as others. But for now... The plan is to carry this series for just a few weeks. Today we come to another topic, which, like our topic of joy last week, is one which the world finds so elusive, always in pursuit, never never enjoying the capture. And like last week's topic of joy, the believer can also find this topic elusive, if not properly grounded in the truths of God's Word. This is also one of those topics I personally have had a lot of experience in, and I don't mean in the obedience department. I have struggled with this topic that I'm going to share with you this morning, but I have have seen enough victory in this area of my life to know that God is good and he is gracious and he is working in me and I trust he will use this challenge from his word to you today to be challenged in this area as well because I think it's safe to say that this is something we all have or are struggling with more likely the latter than the former we are likely more of us than not struggling with this Most of us need more of this Christian grace in our lives. What is it you're saying? Tell us what it is. How do you like that? Do you like that? Suspense. You want me to tell you? It's contentment. Contentment. Contentment is so elusive in the world in which we live. For one thing, the culture that, that's ours is one in which we are trained to be discontent. We are told by advertisers to never be content, right? We are told by political strategists, do not be content. <laughs> I said it a few times when my kids and I were watching the Olympics over the last few weeks. Jokingly, 
But we all kind of feel this way. Maybe not all of us, but many of us feel this way. You see someone who wins the gold medal, and they are victorious. They are happy. We've, we saw this in some. The person who won the silver medal, they're happy. But some of them I saw crying because they know. Yes, they won the silver medal, but they are also the first loser. Right? We say, well, they, that was great, you know, the gold medalist, but the silver, they're just the first loser. They could have done better. They should have done better, right? And they go home and they say, I'm coming back in four years. I'm going to win what? I'm going to win the bronze, of course. No, I'm going to win the gold. <laughs> I'm going to win the gold. I'm not content with silver. Our culture teaches us to teach our children not to be content. Our culture tells us he who dies with the most toys wins. I say he who dies with the most toys is still dead. We've learned to believe that every generation's children should have it better than their parents. Our culture has learned We've learned to be discontent. But sadly, it's not just the culture. It's also the church. We want bigger churches and pastors and elders and deacons fall to this also. We want bigger churches. We want more people. We want, well, maybe when you look for a church, you want more entertaining worship. And that is contradictory, <laughs> entertaining worship. We want more practical and less biblical preaching, and that is also contradictory. We want more programs to send our children to, more activities that meet my felt needs. We have learned to never be satisfied. Never to be content. While sadly, and far too often, we have learned to be content with our spirituality. Content with little growth. Content not reading God's word. Content to live in disobedience. If it seems like I'm painting a bleak picture, it's because it's a bleak picture. <laughs> it's a bleak picture and landscape to paint. We need to be honest with ourselves. Would you be honest with yourself in this this morning and agree with me that discontentment is sin? And just as we ought to seek out and destroy the glaring, soul-scarring sins, the ones that we don't want anyone to know about, we ought to seek out and destroy discontentment. Or it will destroy us. It will destroy God's church. It will destroy our testimony in this community. Discontentment, I'm suggesting, and I believe God's word makes 
makes this very clear. Discontentment shouldn't be normal among God's people. It shouldn't be status quo. We ought not leave discontentment unchallenged. We have learned to be discontent where we should be content. And we have learned to be content where we should be discontent. By now you're getting the idea that there are some things that we ought to be discontent about. And I will hint at those. Those would be things like our spirituality, whether we're trusting God or not. We ought not be discontent with a little trust. We ought not be, we ought not be, I mean, we ought not be content with a little trust. We ought not be content with a little faith. But I'm not going to talk about that this morning. I'm going to talk about that tonight. There's some things that we ought to be discontent with. That's tonight. Because I don't have time to tell you everything I want you to know from God's word today in the, in the time that we have this morning. But I do want to challenge you that discontentment should not be the norm for God's children. We've learned to be discontent and we ought to unlearn. We ought to unlearn our discontentment. We need to learn a new standard. There is hope. It may seem like a bleak picture, but I'm here to tell you that there is hope. We can learn contentment, and I know we can if we're willing to be obedient to God's word because his word shows us how. Do you believe in God's word? Do you trust in his word? If you do, we come to the word together today to be led by the word out of discontentment and into contentment. And thankfully, we have been given godly examples of contentment to learn from. One of those examples is found in the life of Paul in Philippians 4. Would you go there with me? Philippians 4. Paul is an example of a man who was, you know his life, you know he was transformed by God. Miraculously so. We praise God for the example of the transformed life of a man named Saul who would be arrested by God on the road and shown the truth. And then when Paul believed, when Saul believed he would be called Paul, we call him Paul. And he wrote by God's hand of inspiration uh, many of the books that we enjoy in the New Testament. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was changed by God, though, to become a wholehearted and faithful follower of Christ. But Paul was also, he was also a man. He, He was human, like we are. Paul had needs. Paul had wants. He faced severe hardships. He faced deep and dark trials and difficulties and imprisonments. And he had, he had to learn contentment like we too need to learn contentment. And I say that very confidently because of what we're going to see in Philippians 4 this morning. Paul had to learn contentment. When we enter Philippians 4, we find Paul rejoicing that the Philippian church was once again able to renew their support of him. And he's pointing back to a time when they had supported him, and then they weren't able to. 
And then they once again were able to, and he had, he had been imprisoned and he had faced much hardship, and all the while the Philippian church loved him dearly, had a deep love and concern for him, and they had wanted to help him, and they had wanted to send him support, and they wanted to help meet his needs, but for lack of resources they could not. That's the period of time Paul is speaking of here in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. Look at verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How grateful and how joyful Paul was for the support that the Philippian church had sent him. How thankful he was to have some of his needs met by the church. But what's so instructive here, I think, is that in all of Paul's difficulties... In all the times he'd been brought low, in times he'd faced hunger and great need, and even in times when he had abundance of provision, he had learned that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. And the key to his spiritual growth, I think, in the life of Paul, hinges on what he says in verse 11. When he says, for I have learned, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I don't know if you mark your Bibles or not, but that'd be a good verse to underline. Put a star there. Let Paul and God's word be your guide. We can see it again and again and again. Paul has learned contentment. And by God's grace and mercy, God inspired Paul to pen these words so that we might learn contentment too. Paul says, in whatever situation I am, I have learned to be content. Paul had learned to be content, which I... I find very encouraging. Maybe you think of Paul as superhero Apostle Paul. He rips open his shirt, and underneath is a is a, a shirt with a emblazoned on a great big A, Apostle. Right? You think Paul, the super saint, he doesn't need to learn anything. Not true. And how encouraging 
this is for me. When I'm finding at every turn, I need to learn, right? And you too. Every time we turn around, we need to learn something new. It's that way with technology. It used to be I was the tech guy in the family. I said used to be. Now my kids are going, no, no, Dad. That's not how it works. I still say that to my parents, okay? I still tell my parents. My mom still calls me and says, Kevin, how do I get this to work? So-and-so, I tell her. But then I turn and say to my kids, how do I get this to work on my computer? It's a mad cycle, isn't it? We're always having to learn something new. There's always something different and new to learn. How thankful I am that God is gracious enough to show us that the super saint Apostle Paul that didn't have to learn anything really did. (laughs) He had to learn like we need to learn contentment. Can you learn contentment? I say by God's grace and by his word and strength and the work of the Spirit in you. Yes, you can. And yes, I can. So what does the Bible have to say about this basic And this is a fundamental need that we have. This is a basic of the Christian faith. How can we learn to be content? I think there are two things that we need to learn. I want to give you two things that that I think we need to learn if we're to learn, as Paul did, contentment. I'm going to give you two things. Now, now I could have gone on and on and on today. I had a really long list this week. I was working. I whittled down these two things. And I'm not suggesting that you're going to miss, totally miss the boat if you don't get all the other things that I was thinking. But, but I think these are the basic. These are the core things that we need to work on if we're going to learn to be content. And then I'm going to give you three challenges, three questions. So two things. Here's the first one. And if you're a A note taker, I would encourage you to write these things down and write down some of the references because we're not going to turn to a lot of these references, but there are some things that you you can look up later to be an encouragement to you. You might be like me. I I write notes when, when I listen to someone preach, and I hardly ever go back to them, but I'm like the guy who said, I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. It really helps sometimes. So if you need to do that, do that. Write it down. It'll help you stay focused on what we're talking about. Here's the first one. Learn that contentment is a heart attitude. Learn that contentment is a heart attitude. Here's what I mean. It really is an attitude of the heart. It is an attitude that growing from your faith in Christ, and this is where we must begin, And so, obviously, I'm speaking to those who are followers of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I I warn you, you are never, by God's design and by God's grace, you are never going to be content until you first trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's for you. That's first. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's number one. But for followers of Christ who have said, I have trusted Jesus Christ and and him alone to save me. Learn that contentment is a heart attitude. It's an attitude that says, growing from your faith in Christ, I am a child of God. And if God wants me to have it, I will. And if he doesn't want me to have it, I won't. 
So, no matter what, I will be content because I trust God. I trust the creator of the universe. Think of that. Who provides air for you to breathe? Who can take the air like that? But he doesn't. He gives you air to breathe. Who gives you water? And we have the most, I think, the most beautiful water on earth to drink. We enjoy anyway. And if you don't have it, you can come to our house and enjoy some Higgins Lake water from our beautiful well. It's ice cold and wonderful. And I thank God for things like that. Those are simple things that God, I mean, I think God in his miraculous, in his miraculous strength and power says, water and air. Water and air. He doesn't need to snap his fingers though. Water and air, right? And all the other things that depend on those. (laughs) How's your heart attitude? Are you able to say, I'm a child of God. And if I don't have it, it's because God hasn't given it to me. I'm not suggesting that we not work. Okay? Don't hear me say that. Because God has told us we must work. But as we work, we need to learn to be content. You want to learn the right heart attitude to live like that? To live with the attitude that says God is in control. My God knows all my needs and He will supply my needs according to His riches and glory. You want to have an attitude like that? Then learn to grow in godliness Learn to follow and obey God's word. Listen, you will never be blessed by God if you refuse his blessings. And you refuse his blessings by your disobedience. Paul points to the key to gaining the right attitude, which leads to contentment in 1 Timothy 6.6. 1 Timothy 6.6 when he says, Now there is great gain in godliness... With contentment, great gain? Think of it. You want great gain? I want great gain. And God says, you want great gain? Godliness with contentment. There is great gain in godliness with contentment? I can't wait for the day, which will never come, I know, when a car commercial comes on and says, this is a, a, a beautiful car, very fast and, and very expensive and very plush with, you know, climate-controlled seats left and right, front and back, you know, individual air and headphone jacks and all that good stuff, whatever, all the stuff you can imagine. But there is godliness. <laughs> there is great gain in godliness with contentment right at the end of the car commercial. And not really fast, like in the fine print, really slow. That'll never happen. That'll never happen because the world we live in wants you to know that you should not be content and that godliness is a, is a thing that's a joke. Forget godliness. You need a new car. And you, and you should work, work your way to that new car no matter what it takes, right? Or you fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be a new car. You can tell where mine, my mind always is because I'm always taught using cars as illustrations, right? So bear with me, right? But but you need to think of well, the things that you long for, that you, your, your human nature says you need again and again. 
the, the commercial advertisers are saying, you desperately need those things. And, and, and great gain in godliness with contentment? What a joke that is. Listen, this is no joke. This is God's word. Do you take God's word seriously? What's your heart attitude? Contentment, you see, has more to do with your godly attitude than with your circumstances. I'm going to suggest, and I believe God's word helps us understand this truth, that, that contentment has far more to do with your godly and Christ-like attitude than with your surroundings, than what's happening on the outside. Contentment comes from the inside. Discontentment comes from the outside. When you let the outside circumstances change your mind about whether you need what you have or don't have. You see, pursue God's word. Pursue obedience to his word. Make make pleasing the Lord your highest aim. Don't make... Don't make the pursuit of stuff your highest aim. Because if the pursuit of stuff, and that can fall in so many categories in our lives, if the pursuit of more is your highest aim, then you will never be content because more will never be enough. Make pleasing the Lord with your heart attitude and your conduct your highest aim in all that you do when you go to work. This will help you enjoy your job, gentlemen and ladies. This will help you enjoy even a job that's sometimes a drudgery and difficult. Even dealing with a boss or employees who are difficult. When you look at your employment as an opportunity to glorify God first and as an opportunity to provide for your needs second. Get those reversed and you will not have contentment. There's great gain in godliness with contentment. Don't make the pursuit of stuff your highest aim. Don't make the pursuit of stuff first and your growth in Christ second. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3 says and reminds us with this challenge, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. And that is... Helpful language. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's death and life there, right? And it seems a little strange. You have died, and your life is hidden? I mean, so there's death and life. You have died. In other words, you are not your own. If your life has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, because you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for salvation, you are no longer your own, but that is a good thing. So live for Christ. With your heart fixed on honoring Christ. Matthew 6.33 instructs, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You will learn contentment when you grow in the heart attitude which is right 
and God-honoring when you are setting your mind on the things of the Lord as opposed to fixing your attention on your physical needs. And please, again, I am not suggesting that we don't have physical needs and that we don't work to provide for our needs because God has given us those physical needs and he has given us work to answer that solution. We should work heartily, right? As to the Lord, says God's word. We ought to work for God's glory in our work that we provide for our needs, yes. Yes, you must provide for your family, but you will never lack God will meet your needs when you fix your heart on his kingdom, on obeying him, on glorifying God. Fix your heart on eternal things, and the things in this world, in this life, will not have and hold your affections. So number one, learn that contentment is a heart attitude. Number two, Learn to put your confidence in the Lord. Learn to put your confidence in the Lord. And here's what I mean. Learn to trust in the Lord's spiritual and physical provision and not your next paycheck or a lottery ticket or your retirement or your home or your spouse, or your children, or your car, or your church, or your dearest friends. Learn to trust in the Lord's spiritual and physical provision and not in the things that you think, and I qualify that, you think you possess. More often, your things possess you. Ask me how I know. I always love it when my teenage drivers come home and go, Dad, the car's making a funny noise. Like, oh. But God provides, right? Even if I'm an ignoramus about things like that, he gave us YouTube. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. But I have fixed my car more than once by going to YouTube. How do I fix my car? And I watch a video. Oh, that's not hard. I can do that. I don't do that on very many things, so. Listen, more often than not, you don't possess your things. They control you. They possess you. And most of us, if not all of us, have garages full of things that possess us, right? And houses and yards and things like that 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 kind of run and rule our lives. And my challenge to you and to me is if those things truly possess you and you find your life ordered by those things, are you truly putting your confidence in the Lord or is it in those things? Learn to say with the psalmist in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why does the psalmist say that? Because God will provide. God provides, and he changes your attitude about what you think you need. So sometimes the things you think you need all, all of a sudden become things you realize you don't need because your shepherd has shown you the way, away from those needs that you think you have. 
You see, with the Lord as my shepherd, I'll trust him to meet my needs as I faithfully obey his word, as I work for God's glory and to provide for my needs, as I work to share the goodness of Jesus Christ with the world in which which I live, with a proper attitude glorifying God, and I work to provide for my family, God will provide for my needs. And he will help me see what I really need. And he will help provide in times of distress. If you need example of God's goodness in this to supply your earthly needs, let's think of a need that's greater than that. Far greater than any earthly need you and I could dream of. How about your need for a Savior? To rescue you from your own sin. Says Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By what? Through what? Through works. No. No, 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 no. Right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a, just to make it more clear now, a gift of God. I need to make it more clear. Verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, if God is concerned about your eternal well-being, something that we have to agree is a little bit more complex than finding lunch. No? I mean, if God is concerned about your eternal destiny, and God's word says he's concerned about the sparrows too, and he knows how many hairs are on your, on your head, if God is concerned enough for your eternal well-being, giving you the greatest gift there ever was, a Savior in Jesus Christ, then will he not also provide for your earthly needs? Yes, he will. So learn to put your confidence in the Lord. Trust him. Trust him as Psalm 121 and verse 4 tells you that, Behold, he who keeps keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That's talking about God and his mighty and awesome power. You can get your needed sleep and rest, folks. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. You can be content with where you are and what you have because the Lord is taking care of those things. He never sleeps or rests. He doesn't need to. But you need to. Learn to trust in the Lord's provision and you will know contentment with what He provides or withholds. As Hebrews 13.5 tells us, we are to keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given you because I believe God has blessed us all with many Good things. Good things to enjoy this side of heaven. You see, there is enjoyment and joy this side of heaven. And God has seen to that. 
So there's nothing wrong with enjoying some of the comforts and joys of this life, but, but don't make those your highest aim. Don't let them control you. Be certain you understand that it is God who gives all good things. What you have is the Lord's, so enjoy those good things for God's glory. You need rest and relaxation and a little, little bit of fun. Enjoy the fun things, but think of them as opportunities to be refreshed in the Lord and encouraged in your faith, and to take opportunities to bring glory to God as you enjoy those things. What you have is the Lord's. That's why I say we think we possess things, but really they are God's. What you have is the Lord's, so enjoy them for God's glory. Do all to the glory of God. Do not allow those things, those enjoyments, to take you away from the Lord and away from your contentment. And we can all find ways where the things that we have been blessed with can turn into a curse because they take us away from our commitment to Christ. And that also means being willing to let things go that God takes. Don't let your contentment rest on a possession or loss of those things. But base your contentment in possessing Christ, who is your all. I'd like to ask you to think carefully about two things. I told you number one thing that we need to learn was that we need to learn that contentment is a heart attitude. Number two, learn to put your confidence in the Lord. I want to challenge you with three things. I'd like to ask you to think very carefully about a few, few things that I think will help, help you apply these truths and challenge yourself to grow in these most important, this most important basic of, of Christian faith and Christian attitudes contentment. First of all, are you growing in joy? Does that sound familiar? If you were here last week, you know that our first Christian basic was joy. Are you growing in joy? This is the basic we discussed last week, and I think I wanted to discuss it first because I feel like Often, as followers of Christ, we tend to be sourpusses. To, I can't think of a better word. And, and I, again, I realize this isn't everybody. Okay, there are some who are uh, who are godly, joy-filled examples of obedience in this area. But often, we can think of God as the big, the big man upstairs who says no, right? How how wrong of us to think that? How wrong of us to think that when God has given us so much to be joyful about? Are you growing in joy? Are you willing to rejoice always because you know God is in control? Your joy is a major factor in whether or not you will be content with where God has put you and with what he has given or not given you. Learn to grow 
in joy, and you will grow in contentment. We heard it last week from Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. May I rewrite that just a little bit? Be content in the Lord always. And again, I will say, be content, right? I think your joy and contentment go hand in hand. Second challenge, second thing I want you to carefully think about, are you growing in humility? Are you growing in humility? A major part of discontentment is the unbiblical notion that you deserve better than what you're getting. You deserve better than what you have. That is an unbiblical but very American notion. And that's where our our culture can, can drag us away from God's word if we're not careful. I am so thankful for the country that God placed us in and for the liberties that we enjoy as Americans. But we ought never let our Americanism water down our, our understanding of biblical truth. Are you willing to admit to God that no good thing in your life is yours apart from His goodness? No, I mean really, no enjoyment that you enjoy is yours apart from God's goodness. Apart from God allowing you to have it. Apart from God's grace. See, apart from His grace, you and I deserve only remove from God's grace. Remove God's grace from the picture of our Christianity. And what do we deserve? His wrath. His just wrath. God is not an unjust God. And yet He is a wrathful God. He's a God who's angry about our sin. So angry and so just is God that He sought to provide an answer to His just wrath and the answer's name is Jesus. No enjoyment on earth is yours without God giving it to you. Apart from God's grace, you and I deserve only His judgment. Are you growing in humility? That will help. Contentment is a product of gratitude toward God. Yes, you ought to take your needs to God in prayer. He has privileged us with prayer that we can yield to Him our burdens and concerns and desires and wishes. But your prayers should really be more praise than petition. Do you realize that? Woe to you if you hear yourself praying only, God, give, 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 give. Help, 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 help. Stop, 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 stop. Right? Grow in humility. Grow in sweet surrender before Christ and your attitude of thankfulness to God will lead to your contentment with all that He provides. Go to God in prayer, yes. Take Him your needs, but but praise Him and thank Him for His constant goodness. Challenge number three. Are you learning to be satisfied with what you have? Are you learning to be satisfied with what you have, whether it's little or much? 
And I say that because some of us think, I don't have much, but I would be satisfied with much. Mm-hmm. And those of us who have much know the lie. I need more. Because as I was studying my sermon, I was putting myself in the first category as the not much. And then this morning, as I was rethinking it, it's like, wait a minute. I'm in the much category. I have much. I have much. I have so much. But maybe you're in the category of not much. Maybe you're in the category of very little. You may have very little, but if you're, if you're discontent with it, if you're discontent with very little, that discontent will drive you, trust me here, it will drive you away from God's Word. You won't have time for God's Word. It will drive you away from the church. You will not have time for the fellowship that God commands His people to enjoy. It very well may drive you to overwork. It may drive you away from your family, drive you away from your spouse, and it will drive you far from contentment. So are you learning to be satisfied with what you have? And what about if you have much, and most of us do? Because if you're wearing shoes, you have more more than many in the world in which we live, believe it or not. What about if you have much? Being satisfied with what you have, if you have much, is learning to be careful and generous. I say careful and generous. Careful that what you have does not take the place of your faith in Christ. Because what you have can become your God. Because what you have can become your satisfaction and your comfort, and you may have much. You may have far more than the average person in this room and not be content. Or you think you're content because you're comfortable where you are because you know you have plenty no matter what. And you forget that God gave it to you. And it can all disappear very quickly. Those who have wealth are prone to trust in their wealth instead of God. Does that sound like a biblical truth? It's because it is. Matthew 19.24, it is hard for a rich man, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You want to hear about impossible? That verse also says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because a rich person is prone to think of the resources that they have and say, I'm okay. I don't need to trust God. You don't say that necessarily, but that's how you live if you're really not careful. So I say be careful. The other is be generous. Because if God has blessed you with much, he has blessed you with much so that you might be generous. And one way to deal with that, that tendency to trust in your own things and provision and wealth, one way to deal with that is learning to be generous. And I'm not suggesting you give to every 
phone call that inquires and says, you know, this is the, you know, fraternal order of, you know, bricklayers or whatever. I, I don't know. You know, whoever calls. I'm not suggesting you give to everybody who calls, but be generous. Be gracious. It goes back to being humility, being humble, growing in humility, I believe. When you realize that God has given you much and what you enjoy is God's and you were to enjoy it for His glory, then you don't have to cling so tightly to what God has provided. You can let your fingers loose and let God use those resources for His glory. Be alert to the needs around you. Be prayerful that God would show you how to use your resources for His glory. Be prayerful. I mean, be prayerful. Rhymes with careful, doesn't it? So I'm not saying be foolish with your resources, but be prayerful. God may nudge you to meet a need. Be an eager and joyful and generous giver. Don't cling to your possessions. They are God's. Allow God to use His many blessings in your life to be a help to others in need. And I started that part of our discussion by saying, if you have much, and that's most of us. I believe it is. I believe many of us could be far more generous than we are because we think we don't have enough. We aren't content. Let's never forget that there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Let's learn in whatever situation we are, like Paul did, to be content.